Again, it's good to see all of you here today. I'm glad that you're here, and I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have them with you, and turn to the prophecy of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, the 55th chapter. And if you were not able to bring your copy of God's Word with you today, you'll find a copy of it in the hymn rack in front of you. It is of the New American Standard Translation that I read from, and I believe if you're not acquainted with the Scriptures, you might find it on page 556, Isaiah chapter 55. Today's message is another in our series of messages following the theme of promises, that is God's promises. And we're looking today at the theme and subject and idea of God's forgiveness. And so the promise of God's forgiveness is found throughout the Bible, but for our purpose today, we're focusing our attention on the 55th chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah, beginning with verse one. Ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know and a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon I have never met anyone who didn't need to be forgiven, and I never will. All of us need to be forgiven for something, something we have done, something that we have said. There's not a person in this entire world who doesn't need to be forgiven. Forgiveness is man's deepest need and God's highest achievement. It has been said that sin is the saddest word in all of the Bible and in human language. But forgiveness is the most beautiful word in the Bible and in human language because forgiveness cancels out sin, removing all of the stain and the darkness and the sorrow and the pain that goes along with having committed sin. For our purpose today, we want to examine four basic ideas, and you can keep up with the message as you follow in the bulletin and fill in the blanks there for you. There are four basic ideas that we want to focus on as we think about God's promise to forgive us of any and all of our sins, no matter what it is, no matter what you have done or said, no matter how bad or heinous or or simple or whatever, God is willing and can and is authorized and has the power to forgive and cleanse us of every sin that we have or are or ever will commit. So the first idea that I want to focus on, of course, has to do with the encouragement 
to seek forgiveness. The encouragement to seek forgiveness. There's comfort in knowing that you can seek God, seek for him. You can find him. And having found him, you can know him. Now, there are religions in the world today who say that it is impossible for you to know God. That it is impossible for you to have a personal relationship with God. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that through him you can be forgiven. If you will seek the Lord, you will find him. And finding him, you can enter into a personal relationship with the living God. Notice in verse 6, if you will, please. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So there is an assurance in that verse of scripture. God can be found if anyone sincerely seeks him. But who is it that may search for him? Well, he tells us, going back up to verse 1, there are five different descriptions that he uses in referring to the sinner. And it is that individual who seeks the Lord and can find him. The first identifying mark is one who is thirsty. Notice in verse 1, whole, and the word whole there is kind of an attention getter. It's like saying, uh, please give me your undivided attention. What I am about to say to you is extremely important. Do not miss what I am going to say. That's all wrapped up in that one little two-letter word, ho, H-O. Listen, be alert, hear what I have to say. Everyone who thirsts can come to the waters. So the first one that he is inviting is that individual who is thirsty. And, uh, you know, in this market, in, in this chapter, chapter 55, Isaiah is describing uh, an old-fashioned marketplace. They didn't have uh, grocery stores and other places like that to go to in those days. And so every single day, you would go out on any street of those ancient cities and there would be a marketplace, a place where you can purchase the food that you would need for the day or water or whatever it was that you would need to eat or to drink. And so he's using this uh, image of a marketplace is saying, now come and drink of the water, those of you who are thirsty, those who are thirsty. And so he, he mentions, notice in verse 1, he, he talks about water. And he also, in verse 1, talks about wine and milk. All three of these things are, items that we, the, are, are elements that we can drink. We drink water, wine, and milk. Water, I uh, think, represents the, the Word of God. Uh, Jesus, you remember on one occasion as recorded in the fourth chapter of John's gospel, he said, everyone who drinks of the water uh, that comes from the well will thirst again. But he who drinks of the water that I have to give will never thirst again. But the water that I give to him, there will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Over in the gospel, uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the washing of regeneration that comes from the word. And uh, so uh, the water, what does water do? Well, water quenches your thirst. Jesus said, I'll quench your thirst. We, we bathe in water to wash our hands or to wash our bod bodies when we take a shower or a bath. So water can, uh, can quench your thirst. Water can cleanse your body. 
What does God's word do? What does God do for you when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? He satisfies the thirst that you have in your heart. And he washes you and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only does he talk about uh, water, representing the word of the Lord, talks about wine. Wine represents, of course, the spirit of the Lord. And so he, he talks about drinking wine as well. Wine uh, represents oftentimes uh, joy and celebration and happiness. And when you trust the Lord as your Savior, uh, there's joy and happiness in your heart that you would never receive in any other way. He, he is the joy of life. And he says, my joy will be full in you. Wine is also used uh, many times in Old Testament days as well as in the New Testament times for medicinal purposes, uh, for uh, antiseptics or to, to help relieve pain. You remember in the, the Gospel of Luke where um, Luke tells the story about, uh, uh, records the story of Jesus about the Good Samaritan, uh, where this Good Samaritan was going down the road and uh, traveling and he saw a man who was in the ditch. He had been robbed, had been beaten, had been left for dead. And the Bible says that this Samaritan went down into the ditch where this man was, wrapped up his wounds, having poured in it oil and wine. And so wine could have been used for medicinal purposes to help ease the pain uh, that one would experience through having such a beaten as that. And so also wine is used in times of celebration. In the Lord's Supper, our Lord took the cup of wine and blessed it and said, take and drink for this is, represents my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sin. And then you have milk. Milk represents the life of God. Milk is used for, for growth and strengthening. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to the word of God. So he talks about water and wine and milk. It all quenches your thirst and helps you to grow in the Lord. The second person that he identifies, not only the thirsty, but the destitute. Look at also in verse 1, in the latter part of it, he says, Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Because probably most of the people that he was addressing had very little money, if any at all. They could not afford to buy certain items. Well, listen, folks, you cannot buy salvation. You cannot purchase salvation. You're not good enough to earn it and deserve it. You don't have enough money to pay for it. You're not redeemed, Peter tells us, by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb of God without blemish and without spot. And so he is saying, come, even though he uses the image of buy, he knows you cannot buy this. It is a gift from God. It is free. So it is for the, not only the thirsty and the destitute. Notice also the third thing that it, he talks about those who are deceived. Look in verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages, which does not satisfy? Uh, so there are people in this world who find or try to find um, uh, satisfaction and fulfillment in life uh, by having things, by doing certain things and activities, and it does not bring uh, satisfaction uh, to the person. The destitute people were deceived into believing that they could find satisfaction by working for it or by purchasing bread that could never satisfy. Someone has said that money will buy you a bed, but it won't buy sleep. 
Money will buy books, but it will not buy brains. Money will buy food, but it will not buy appetite. Money will buy finery, but not beauty. Money will buy a house, but not a home. Money will buy medicine, but not health. Money will buy luxuries, but not culture. Money will buy amusement, but not happiness. Money will buy religion, but not salvation. Money will buy everything in the world, but a passport to heaven. That's just, you can buy everything else with it, but you can't buy your way to heaven. And so those who are deceived into thinking, well, I'll just live a good life and I'll be okay. God's merciful and kind. He'll understand. Yes, God is merciful and kind, but he's also a judge and demanding. So he talks about the thirsty and the destitute and those who are deceived. And then the fourth thing he talks about are those who are wicked. Look at verse 7. In verse 7 he says, let the wicked forsake his way. And the word wicked here just literally means one who is guilty of sin. Sin against God and those who follow the pattern of sin in their lives. The fourth or fifth, I should say, uh, description is also in verse 7 where he talks about the unrighteous. The word wicked and the unrighteous are very closely associated, uh, but the, the word uh, unrighteous literally means a person who does not do anything that's good. All he does is that which is evil, including not doing what he knows is right. Did you know that, that knowing to do right and then not doing it is, is just as much a sin as anything else that the Bible describes as sin? The Bible tells us in the book of James, in the fourth chapter and verse 17, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. So for you to know that that there's something that is right that you should be doing and you are failing to do it, it is sin. It's called the sin of omission, the sin of commission and the sin of omission. And uh, we're quick to to, uh, announce and denounce sins that we commit We forget to announce and denounce and (laughs) condemn those things that we know we should be doing that we're not doing. And so these are the individuals uh, that uh, the prophet Isaiah is saying, you can come and and you can experience the forgiveness of God. Notice the second thing, not only the encouragement to seek forgiveness, but the time to seek forgiveness. There is a time for for you to seek forgiveness. Notice in verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now the word while, as you know, refers to a short period of time as opposed to an indefinite period of time. It is a short period of time, a limited period of time, and you must act upon it while you have the time to do so. And that's what he is saying. Seek the Lord while you can. Search for him. Call upon him while there is time for you to do so, implying that there will be a time when you will want to find the Lord and will not be able to do so. You can search for him, but if you cross that line of no return, no matter how much you may be sincere in finding the Lord, he will not hear, he will not listen, he will not respond to you. So when you are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you need to respond to him then and there and don't trample upon the grace and mercy of God thinking, well, I have all the time in the world. There may be some of you here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never experienced the forgiveness of sin. And you may be saying to yourself right now, oh, I can do this at another time. I can do it later, maybe tomorrow, next week or next Sunday, whenever. 
but you have no guarantee that you're going to be alive the next second of the clock. The time is just so uncertain and so brief. And God's invitation to you, it says, now, today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And so if God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you and tugging at your heart and you know that you need to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you need to act upon it now while the Spirit of God is convicting you. I want you to take your Bibles, keep your place at Isaiah, but turn to the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. We're talking about the time to seek forgiveness. It's now while there is an opportunity for you to do so. John 12, verse 35, notice. So Jesus said to them, for a little while, for how long? Not just a while, but a little while, a short time. For a little while, the light is shining among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Now notice three things about these two verses. We're in John 12, 35 and 36. Notice the challenge. The challenge is walk in the light. Walk while you have the light. And notice in verse 36, he says, believe in the light. These two words or phrases are, are, are challenged to us. While the light is in the world, then walk in the light and believe the light. But not only a challenge, there is a warning. A warning here in the expression for a little while, for a little, it's not going to last for long. You remember Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now we know that he's ascended to the Father, but by the Holy Spirit, he still lights and shines. His light shines for us. And so until he comes, uh, the light will continue to shine, but the day will come when the light will no longer shine in this world and you better act upon it now. So there is a warning here in an era before electric lights, people traveled only during the daylight hours when they could see clearly and walk safely. The Lord likened those who failed to heed his warning to travelers caught out after midnight, lost in the pitch blackness of a starless and moonless night. And so they just didn't walk around as much at night like we do. They only did it in the daytime and only went out at night when it was absolutely essential. And then they had to carry a torch with them to do so. So Jesus is simply saying, here's a challenge. Walk in the light while you have the opportunity and believe the light while you have the opportunity. It's a warning for just a little while. A little while it won't burn anymore. But then notice there's a promise. And that promise is sound also in verse, found also in verse 36 at the latter part of it. He says, so that you may become sons of light. A promise that God has made to us that if we'll come to the light, believe in the light, and, he, and the light that he's talking about is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so there's this promise. So there's the encouragement to be forgiven and to seek it, a time to seek forgiveness. Notice the third thing, and that is the way to seek forgiveness. The way to seek forgiveness. There are two things in seeking forgiveness that are absolutely essential. The first one is prayer. And the second one is repentance. 
Notice what he says in verse 6. The latter part of verse 6 says, Call upon him while he may be found. So to call upon the Lord means that you pray to the Lord, that you talk to the Lord. And so when you're seeking someone, what do you do? You call them. If you're wanting to talk to them on your cell phone or if you still have a, live, uh, 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 a ground line to your house, you, you, you call an individual on your cell phone. Why? What, what are you doing? You're, you're calling them to talk to them. To call upon the Lord means that you're talking to the Lord. And so you, you talk to the Lord and when you pray to the Lord, if you're seeking forgiveness, what do you, you're asking him to forgive you. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, cleanse me of my sins. And name your sins to the Lord. Uh, you, you know what sins you've been committing. And not, don't just use generalities. You, whatever it is, you know, you say, well, I don't, know, I don't know what sins I've committed. Well, guess at them. You're, you're bound to hit one somewhere down the line. So you confess your sins to the Lord. You pray to the Lord. The Bible says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So pray and talk to God. Confess your sins to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your savior. Make a commitment of yourself to him. Pray. But prayer leads to repentance. That's the second thing. Notice in verse 7. Not only are we to call upon the Lord while he can be found... He says in verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him do what? Return to the Lord. So you must forsake your sins and not only your sins but the thoughts because you see before you commit an overt act of sin, it begins in your mind and in your thoughts. And so you, you ask the Lord to, to, to cleanse you of your, your thoughts, your evil thoughts, your wicked thoughts. Thoughts lead to action, and action leads to condemnation if it's sin that you are committing. And so you ask the Lord, you know, the Bible says uh, uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your minds. When Jesus cast out the demons of the Gadarene demoniac, and the people came out from the city to see what was going on, the Bible says that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And so you ask the Lord to cleanse your mind. All of the sins that you commit originate in your mind and in your heart. And you ask the Lord, cleanse my mind, cleanse my heart. And he says, forsake those. That means to abandon them. It's not that you get on your hands and knees and ask the Lord to forgive you. And then you get up and go right back doing the same thing that you'd been doing before then. You turn your, the word repentance means you're, you're walking down one direction and you're doing a complete about face and going in the other direction. So you turn away from your sins and you turn to the Lord. That's repentance. And then the Lord, the Holy, God, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and fills you and takes control of your mind and your thoughts and your actions. And so you repent. Repent of your sins and he will cleanse you. So pray and repent. And here's the fourth thing. Not only the encouragement that is given to seek forgiveness, not only the time in which we're to seek it, and not only the way in which we're to seek it, but there are blessings, the blessings of seeking forgiveness. There are two primarily in the passage of Scripture. One is compassion and the other one is pardon. Notice in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way 
and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, will have compassion and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So the blessings, of course, will be God's compassion. God is a compassionate God. He loves us. He cares for us. As it has been said, there's nothing that you can do that would cause God to love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing that you could ever not do that would cause God to love you any less. God loves you and he loves you. And as the Bible says, he has drawn us with an everlasting love. The Bible says that he looked out upon the city and the village of, of Jerusalem and he cried out uh, with great compassion, my uh, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her chickens and you would not. So he had compassion on people. He has compassion on us. And not only does he have compassion on us, the Bible says in James 5, 11, the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So God delights in anyone's perishing. God doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. That's why Jesus came into the world and died on the cross for you. So that by your repentance and calling upon him and receiving him as your Lord and Savior, you would not go to hell. And he did it out of love. Greater love, Jesus said, hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for you. Nobody took his life away from him. He willingly and voluntarily gave his life for you and for me. He said in the 10th chapter of John's gospel that nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I take it up again. Oh, I know the soldiers took him and nailed him to a cross, but he, he, he submitted himself to that willingly and voluntarily. He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, Father, if, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So he voluntarily laid down his life out of compassion for you and for me. And if you will come to him and seek forgiveness from him, he will shower you with his compassion, with his love and with his mercy. But not only compassion, but also pardon. Look at verse 7. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Not just pardon but he will pardon abundantly. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about God's pardon. He said, pardon is the child of mercy. Pardon is the child of mercy. God is a merciful God. Micah, the Old Testament prophet said that God delights in being merciful. And so if God wants to be merciful to us, you can rest assured he's going to be uh, super abundant in pouring out his mercy and his compassion and his forgiveness upon you. He will forgive generously is the way the New Living Translation renders it. Micah seven eighteen. who is a God like you who pardons iniquity? So here are the four major ideas that we've been pursuing today as we think about how we are encouraged by the Lord to seek him and that he will forgive us if we will do so that we can trust him to forgive us and to cleanse us and, and that, that we can call upon him and receive the mercy and the forgiveness of the Lord. In conclusion, let me share with you just additional three or four things about God's forgiveness. The forgiveness which God offers is free. 
It's free. You don't have to buy it. You don't purchase it. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It's free. It's a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. So God's forgiveness is a gift to you. Jesus has already purchased it. He purchased it when he died on the cross. He shed his blood. We're not redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. So his forgiveness is free. Not only is it free, but it's full. F-U-L-L. It's full. He forgives every sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. He doesn't just forget, well, I'll forgive that sin, but I won't forgive that one. Uh, you, you've committed that sin about a hundred times already. I'm not going to forgive it anymore. I'll go over here to something else. No. There's no limit. Now, it doesn't mean that you now that you're a Christian, you have, the, you have the liberty to just go out and live the way you want to and God will forgive me. No, that's dangerous. You better not do that. If you profess to be a Christian and you're living a consistent sinful life, then one of two things is wrong. Either you've never been saved because if you've been genuinely saved, you're going to hate sin. Now, you may slip and fall occasionally and do things that you shouldn't. That's when you ask God to forgive. I'm talking about a person who consistently, habitually, as a lifestyle, continues to live in sin and professes to be a Christian, then more than likely that type of person is not saved. The other one is that if you are saved and you're persistent in living that kind of life, then God's going to take you, his way. God's going to, take you to the woodshed. <laughs> He's not going to let you get by. Uh, sinning, you, you're, you're his child. And the book of uh, Hebrews talks about that, that God will chastise you. He will, he will do something to you, in you, through you, some way or another, that, that he'll get your attention. Uh, he'll, 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 he'll get to you some way or the other. And, and it may uh, be premature death. I, 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 don't, I can't look into people's hearts and minds and motives and so forth, but I do believe that there are individuals, and there are rare occasions, but I do believe that there are times when a person who is professed Christian, who continues to persist in sin, and God keeps warning, and God keeps warning. He said, you're my child. You can't get by with this. And if you persist in it, he could. I'm not saying that he will. I'm saying it's possible that God will take you out prematurely from this world. He'll do that. I know some cases not here in our church, but in times past when I believe that, that, uh, that occurred. And so be careful. It's full and it's free, but don't take advantage of God's, while there is time, you need to repent. So it's free, it's full, and here's the, here's the third thing, it's forever. It is forever. When God forgives, he forgets and remembers our trespasses and transgressions no more. As Corey Ten Boom used to say, he drops them in the deepest part of the ocean and puts a sign up saying, no fishing allowed. So God forgives, and it's permanent, it's forever. He's not going to bring up the past. Once, once your sins have been confessed, they are under the blood. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. God forgives forever. As Billy Graham has reminded us, if his conditions are met, now notice, if his conditions are met, God is bound by his word to forgive any man or woman of any sin because of Christ, because of Christ, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. God is bound to keep his promise. If you will seek me, you will find me, you will know me, and you will be forgiven of your sins. 
One final passage of scripture and I close with a poem. Psalm 103, verses 10, 11, and 12. Psalm 103, verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? It cannot be measured or proven, but farther than this, so the Bible tells me, my sins have forever been removed. How high are the heavens above? An infinite, measureless space. But higher than this is the gift of God's love. So great is his mercy and grace. How deep are the depths of the sea? A fathomless measure, you say. But farther than this, so my Savior tells me, my sins are forever cast away. They're gone and forgotten by God, and God has removed every doubt. For covered by blood are my many transgressions. My sins are forever blotted out. Return unto me, says the Lord, for I have redeemed you by blood. Your name is engraved on the palm of my hands, and pardoned you are by thy God. To him we would joyfully sing. Our praises to him would ascend. Our Savior, our Shepherd, our Priest, and our King, our true and unchanging friend. My, how unmeasurable is the love and grace and forgiveness of Almighty God. It's God's promise. You repent, turn to me, call upon me, I'll forgive you. It's free, it's full, and it's forever. Let's bow together. There's no better reason in all the world, our Father, to approach your throne of grace with our hearts full of joy and gratitude than to know that you are a God of your word, that your promises are indeed precious, and there's no promise greater in its value and what it means to us than to hear you say to us, forgiven, forgiven. It's free and it's full and it's forever. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to die on the cross so that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you have forgiven and knowing that you've paid the price. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you take control of every person who's here. And if there's someone who's never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, today, today is the day of salvation. May they realize that. May they respond while there is time that they may rejoice in all eternity. For any others that might have decisions to make, Father, we open this invitation to them in your name. May they come led by the Spirit of God. We pray it in your name. Amen. Would you stand, please? And God is speaking to you. You come. <laughs>